Hey, this is David Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Happy New Year. It's probably the beginning of the new year. And Richard Chang and Kareem Harbutter here. Guys, thanks for taking time out of your day. Thank you for having us. Good to be back. Uh, yeah, Happy New Year. We're actually recording this way before New Year's, but this is probably going to go be the first one for, for New Year. Um, so I hope you had a happy and safe New Year. And hopefully we're all going to be vaccinated and out on the road again soon. But right now, these guys are both trapped inside their homes, as am I, and as are you. But what do you normally do with your days to make a living, gentlemen? I can go ahead and start. My name is Richard Chang. I work for Next Step Solutions. I'm the VP of training there. So day to day, uh, a lot of what I do is I'm a certified scrum trainer. So I teach a lot of our courses as well as kind of running the business side of things. Uh, certified Scrum Master, Certified Scrum Product Owner, the advanced version of those courses, and so on. All right. And Kareem? Uh, and I'm in a similar space, also a uh, Certified Scrum Trainer, uh, do a similar uh, selection of courses there, but I'm, I'm increasingly focusing on, on um, uh, the Certified Agile Leadership Class, or CAL, uh, as it's become known, um, and going deep into that space. So that's taking up uh, a good chunk of my time um, these days, which is uh, which is which is interesting. It drives some uh, some impactful conversations with organisations, so it's uh, good fun teaching those. But uh, uh, on, on the, as well as that, just trying to build build my organisation as well as a as an agile, agile organisation also. All right, and you have a book coming out. Which yes, even though I, it's not coming out till June, they can pre-order it now if they're so. It's cool. it's up. It's on Amazon and all of the the major book retailers for pre-order. Yes, that's. I'll, I'll, I'm glad I'm no longer writing it. Let's put it that way. It was, <laughs> it was one of those things I'm glad I've done, um, but uh, I probably won't be signing up to do another. But yeah, I'm super excited about that. It's called The Six Enablers of Business Agility um, and uh, How to Thrive in an Uncertain World. And it's been great fun writing. Um, I'm just glad I'm no longer doing it. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that coming out. Cool. All right. And that's our topic for today. It's business agility. So we're going to kind of talk about what it actually means um, how we see people maybe not quite getting their heads around it the right way or maybe having a misunderstanding of what it actually is, why it's so important, and, and how you should get started working towards this if you're not already doing it. So, so Richard, you're, you're giving a talk about business agility periodically. How do you define it for people? Yeah, so business agility is really the ability as an organization to uh, identify kind of our business needs quickly and effectively and be able to respond in, uh, to it in a very quick, effective way um, uh, to really satisfy the market and also meet their own business goals. Okay. And Kareem, do you have anything you want to tack on there to tune up Richard's explanation? Well, the, sh the short answer I'd give is um, it's, uh, it's about um, being responsive, adaptive, and innovative. Right, it's being okay. able to respond to an unpredictable market by creating new stuff that provides value to your customers. Uh, well, yeah, I like that last word you said there. The response to adaptive, uh, I think, makes a lot of sense. And that innovative piece, um, I think, really adds a nice, uh, nice uh, kind of extra dimension to it as well. So things were changing pretty rapidly before last spring. And then when the pandemic got here, everything got flipped upside down. So that is, I'm imagining, even, even more important now. Than it was before and will be until the vaccine is distributed and things go back to whatever normal turns out to be. Yeah, I think that pandemic back in March really highlighted kind of this need for business agility, right? Because essentially overnight, everyone had to make massive adjustments to the way they do work. And what we see is some organizations um, really kind of adapted really well and, and kind of 
uh, really was able to go with the flow and and kind of uh, be up and running very quickly. Where other organizations really struggled with making that change, and really showed, it really focused, forced all the companies to be able to uh, adapt. Yes, it's been it's been really interesting watching um, the, the the organizations that respond to this. You know, and and you know, the, the, this this is just a more extreme example of what was happening anyway, right? This is like the, what we call VUCA: volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity was on the rise before the pandemic hit. This has just taken it to the next level, right? Um, and for any organization that was wondering, you know, do I need agility to survive and thrive in the medium to long term? I think this has just helped to answer that question for them. All right, if there was any doubt, there isn't anymore. So this isn't so much about agile. This is about having a company that can quickly sense and respond. Absolutely. Uh, this isn't about agile, the capital A agile. I mean, yes, there's a lot of, of history from, from the software development world as to where this came from. But, but the principles, you know, you know some, some, I was speaking to a client earlier this morning and they asked me uh, um, uh, uh, you know, whether they could have been doing this stuff um, how, how they could have been doing this stuff when the manifesto is only 20 years old. And I said, well, yeah, that was when the manifesto for agile software development was written, but the ability to respond, to adapt, to create new things, to innovate, to be nimble has been around, has been a concept uh, that's been around for many, many decades. It's just that it's been highlighted more and we, we use the capital A agile, but actually it's agility, which is the property to do those things, which is important. And that's not a new thing. Okay. Yeah, in the talk I give, uh, I've been giving talk about business agility. One of the things we call out is some of the uh, things we can do from a business agility standpoint. So implementing agile methods like Kanban, like Scrum, is one of the steps for uh, to kind of really create um, a very agile uh, business. However, it's one of the factors. There's others such as lean startup concepts, design thinking, and then a lot of what Kareem talks about in his book about organizational alignment and change uh, have to be there as well. So is this about just new product stuff or is it just like reacting to what's going on? I mean, like there's businesses that in the pandemic went through massive changes. I was reading an article the other day about Fender and how they were like tanking horribly and the pandemic started and all the music stores started to close. And then all of a sudden everybody's buying guitars online and their sales have gone up 17% during the pandemic just because everybody's sitting at home playing guitar now. Yeah, I mean, I think with stories like that, part of it is is just your, uh, it's kind of your business, right? And what we see here in the pandemic is a lot of uh, business are struggling, you know, uh, restaurants, uh, yeah. hospitality, uh, travel. I don't know if the cruise lines will ever come back, right? Uh, but there's other companies that have flourished, right? Companies like the the, the DoorDashes, the, the Grubhubs, Uber Eats, companies like um, uh, uh, Amazon, uh, the Walmarts, the Targets. Uh, when I go to, I try to buy a bike this past summer. Good luck it was with impossible, that. Impossible, <laughs> yeah. impossible, right? They weren't selling bikes at the store for under fifteen hundred. So companies like Trek, uh, Schwinn, uh, the bike shops were were doing well. But I would say that um, that part of that is just. Uh, uh, you know, I'm almost hesitant to say this. Part of it is luck and happenstance that they're in a space that is needed during this pandemic. But then part of it is their ability to react and respond. Uh, one example of that would be like distilleries around here. Um, they're having a good buy, time. Well, they're having, <laughs> a lot of people are buying alcohol. But what was also very interesting and very cool 
was that distilleries around here reacted very quickly. So when we had the shortage of hand sanitizers, distilleries started converting uh, their output to create hand sanitizers as well. Uh, and so I thought that was a very good, smart uh, shift for them. Um, and it's great because if you ever get a hand sanitizer, it smells horrible. It's probably converted. Or uh, is full of poisonous chemicals. They have yeah. those as well. Yeah. Yes, it's probably converted uh, tequila or vodka uh, distillery. Oh, all right. Um, well, so maybe that's like a good place to start from. I mean, there's stuff that happens in in the world that companies have to be able to respond to. Like maybe we have to figure out how to suddenly start making hand sanitizer or masks or whatever. And then like with the hand sanitizer, people are using it so much now um, that it's winter, especially that whoever makes lotion is going to be selling tons of stuff because people's hands are so dried out from all this. I mean, that is that the kind of thing we're talking about where somebody would recognize there's a need and be able to quickly switch gears and produce a product that can fit that need? I, th I think that's that's the only part of it. So I'm still trying to get past the image of Richard riding a bicycle. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> it's all about the, I think it's all about the shorts. If you try to put Richard in the biking shorts, you just have to yeah, stop right there. Let's move on fast from that. But I, I think there's, there's always been opportunities and things changing, right? I think what's changed in the last probably, uh, well, definitely 50 years, but probably even more so 20 to 30 years, is the acceleration of that change. Right? The, 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 the technology, the interconnectedness, social media, deregulation, um, pandemics, right, mean the, the world changes much more quickly than it did before. So whilst you could have got away with making a certain product or service or having a business model for, you know, I think Henry Ford made the Model T for 19 years, largely unchanged, right? I mean, that just doesn't fly anymore. So it's less about how effectively and efficiently can you do what you're already doing, that's still important, but actually it's like, how effectively can you create the next thing? And, and that's always been important. It's just incredibly more important now than it ever was. Um, and the pandemic just highlights the ability to create new things and to take advantage of new opportunities. And that for me, whether you call it innovation, whether you call it um, business agility, um, that's the competitive advantage right now. So it's almost like as soon as you build something that starts to succeed, you got to hit the stopwatch and assume this thing's going to be dead in five minutes. What's next? You absolutely do. And the analogy I like to use is the, of the pharmaceutical industry, right? It takes, um, it takes about, uh, well, it, you get, you get a, a patent that lasts about 20 years, but it takes you 10 years to go through trials. So you get about 10 years of exclusivity where you are making money off that, and then you, you fall off the patent cliff, right? So you know that's going to happen, and you know your revenues are going to fall off a cliff. So what do you do? You spend a ton of money in R&D creating the next thing that will take its place, right? But you, when you know that's going to happen, you have the foresight to invest in uh, R&D. But lots of organizations, the blockbusters, the Nokias, the borders, they don't have a date in the diary when that's going to happen, right? So it's, it's really easy to assume that the good times are going to last, uh, and then they don't. And you're not set up to create the next thing because you've never needed to, right? And it's just that those timeframes are getting squeezed. Uh, and so people are realizing you need to do both of those things. We call that being an ambidextrous organization, but it's absolutely vital right now. Yeah, from a product management standpoint, it plays a huge part of that, right? Because what happens is, as a product manager, I have a product and I have to be able to kind of create a, a, a roadmap for it, a timeline or horizon for it, understanding where it is now, where it is in the first version, the second, the third, and subsequent versions as well, and have that mapped out so I have a strategy with it. But along with that, the strategy has to be uh, adaptive 
so that when I get the feedback from the first versions, it informs the second one, but I already have plans for the second, third, and so on. And so it relies on, from a business standpoint, having the plans in place like we do traditionally, but then also making sure the plans can inspect and adapt based on our day-to-day learnings. Okay. So I want to try to check in with you guys on something, and it might take me a second and see if I can get this out of my head right. So we talk a lot about agile transformation and how hard that is for companies to change their value system and the way they work and their culture and their practices and all the other stuff. And we know that that's hard. But what you're talking about sounds to me like the companies have to be almost like hyper-vigilant and always assuming the rug's about to get ripped out from under them. So you have to build your company so that it assumes whatever it has today will be taken out of its hands tomorrow. And they have to be able to immediately respond all the time. And I'm wondering, one, do you agree with that? And two, that's freaking exhausting. How do you build a company that can sustain that? Well, I'll tell a quick story. So there's a guy that we all know, Mike Beadle, who passed away tragically uh, last year. Um, so he gave a talk, and in the talk, uh, I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember exact, his exact words, but he said something along the lines of this. He said something like, as I look around the room, I can see some dinosaurs. Some of you uh, right now, your organizations are going to go extinct. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but the way you're progressing, you are going to uh, go away, which is fine. Some companies have to go away for others to uh, to rise up. And the danger now is that you know we're in a world now where things uh, are volatile. Even before the pandemic, right? Companies like Marriott, who for uh, a long time had the most number of hotel listings by far, uh, and now for rental listings, it's Airbnb has more listings on the internet than the next five hotel chains combined. Right. Okay. And so what happens is. If companies don't understand that there's a need for it, they may just go away, which is sad. My hometown of uh, Richmond, Virginia, is where Circuit City was headquartered, right? There was a ton of jobs lost when Circuit City went out of business. (laughs) I haven't thought about Circuit City in years. Oh, I love Circuit City. They had the racetrack uh, theme in the – they called the racetrack the way their stores were set up all in the circular pattern. I loved it, and it was a major employer in Richmond, Virginia, and those jobs never came back. Right. And so that's the scary part is when companies go away. You know, this time of year, I get sad because um, in years past, what we used to do is we buy uh, Toys R Us gift certificates for the kids. And the fun was after Christmas, we go to Toys R Us and with the kids run around and then buy whatever they want. And that was kind of a fun thing. But there's no more Toys R Us to go to. Right. And so companies uh, do perish and it happens. And that's why the business agility needs to be there. I think you, you uh, Dave, you say it sounds exhausting. I think it sounds exciting, right? I mean, for me, right, there, there are two types of people, I guess, some, some that like laying, laying the tracks and some that like driving the trains, right? And, and yeah. you can see like, people like Steve Jobs, right? He would, he would throw himself into launching the next product. And once it's launched, it's like, bored now, what's next, right? Yeah. Someone else make that go smoothly. I'm on to the next thing, the iPad, the iPod, the this. And you can see uh, Jeff Bezos is the same, right? He's created a, an absolute juggernaut that is Amazon.com. What does he do? He creates Amazon Web Services. And that's a multi-billion dollar organization. They invent the Kindle. Right? They, invent, they, they bring in Alexa. They, like, they just don't stop because some people love doing that. 
And some people love executing against what, is, what exists and, and what you need is a mix of both of those people in an organization, those that can keep the lights on for today and those that can invent tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in the latter, right? But, but each to their own on that. So I, I think it's a ton of opportunity and it's pretty exciting. So you bring up, that's a really interesting point that I had never thought about before. Like we get, we hear, everybody hears about entrepreneurs and that's like a big, super cool thing to be. We never really talk about, okay, after the, you know, Steve Jobs comes running through seagulling his ideas all over the building, somebody's got to clean up and somebody's got to get this stuff done and somebody's got to protect it while it's out there so that, you know, it's milkshake doesn't get drank by somebody else. So, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's that, but that's not a gig that anybody's like, yeah, I want to be that guy. Well, it is. I <laughs> it's mean, more I mean, noble in a lot of ways. To, to be honest, that's what a lot of CEOs are. Yeah. And that's what a lot of MBAs teach you how to do. It's to efficiently execute. Like, I mean, you might have one or two modules on innovation, but a lot of it is going to be how do you keep the lights on? How do you incrementally improve? That's incredibly important because that's what brings the money in. Right? That's, that's milking the cash cow. We just don't forget about the other side. And uh, you know, the, 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 the terminology that tends to be used is exploring and exploiting. Right? Yeah. You can exploit what you have, but you need to explore what's new. Um, I think you, the, the, the reason it's so difficult to do both is because you need different structures, different policies, different cultures, different types of leaders, different characters in each of those activities. So in one organization to have those two distinct cultures is pretty rare. Amazon do it really well. A few others do. But most of them, they focus just on, on keeping the lights on, which is why they don't innovate. So there's, yeah. there's the – give me one. I just want to say this before you jump in, Richard. There's the lights on people and the people whose job it is to destroy the need for lights and create yeah. something else in its place. Which Absolutely. it's almost like your company's trying to kill itself. Well, hey, guess what? Apple made 50% of its revenue from the iPod <laughs> until they destroyed the iPod with the iPhone, right? Yeah. And they knew that was going to happen. How many other CEOs would have destroyed their biggest selling product right, and cannibalized themselves like that? Right? But if you don't cannibalize yourself, someone Somebody else is going to do it for you. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Richard. Sorry. Yeah, I like to think of it as uh, maintain and grow. Right. And okay. like you said, there's um, there's some folks that really are good at kind of thinking around the maintenance. Right. How do I keep this thing running operational? And there's some folks that are very good about the growing. Hey, how do I build the next thing? How do I innovate? There are a few folks that are good at both. But in an organization, you need people that are focused on the maintaining and focused on the growing. I would even argue that the uh, the iPhone isn't didn't kill the iPod. It's the evolution of the iPod. It's the logical next step, right? Um, and so what happens – but it's semantics because whatever it is, is that from a product line standpoint, it was this thing, then it's this thing, and now it's going to be this thing. And the future of it will be the next thing, right? And so it's having that ability to, to not be stuck in the past. Uh, but to learn from the past to grow the future. Okay. So how would I know if I work in an organization and uh, I'm trying to figure out, you know, this stuff all resonates with me. I'm trying to figure out how safe is my organization right, right now? Like how business, I don't even know how you would phrase this, but how business agile are we? Um, how would, how do you gain an awareness of that? Well, I, I've, the, a metric I like, right, and, um, and this is something that the company 3M does. Now, you know, you may or may not be familiar with 3M, very innovative organization, and um, most people know their best, uh, one of them, most well-known products, Post-its, right? Um, now, they, they have a metrics at a high level that they, they want 30% of their revenue to come from products and services that were created in the last three years, right? And they track that. 
right? Now, that's a pretty good indicator that you are creating new things and you are not so reliant on that same thing year after year after year after year. So if, if one of their products gets disrupted, they've got a whole bunch of other things they can fall back on. And they've also got the mindset of creating the new, creating the new, creating the new. And they do a thing that the, the Google used to do, right, with their 20% time. They have 15% time for experimentation. And they have a bunch of policies which help them get to that. So that, is, that for me, is a, is a great metric. What's the percentage of our revenue coming from new products? Okay. Yeah. And they've, they're also a very diversified organization. Like they're, they're building lots of different kinds of things. So they're reducing risk that way as well. Absolutely. Right. But you only become that way if you are constantly creating the new uh, and not just resting on one product. Right. So that's a deliberate strategy that they take. Okay. I do a lot of work um, with the government as well as commercial uh, companies and nonprofit associations. And people often ask me, what's one of the biggest differences between um, what I see in the government versus the commercial world? I would say the number one difference is risk aversion, right? What happens in the government is that, um, well, in the commercial world, I could have failed 20 times, but if I invent the uh, the next Apple iPhone, right, I'm a genius, and all those 20 failures are just funny stories uh, leading to my yeah. genius, right? Whereas in the government, you could have a, a uh, long career, long successful career as a public servant, but if you do something wrong and they get hold of the press, that could be your entire career, right? And so in terms of the original question around business uh, agility, uh, I think part of it is just creating a culture and environment where a failure isn't uh, that 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 kind of rewards risk um, and makes it okay to fail, right? From okay. a culture standpoint. So, do you think then? I mean, what you just described—it sounds to me a lot like one of the the main points that I took away from the Lean Startup book was that in that approach, it becomes more about not about the product; it's about the company. Our company will do whatever it has to do to survive. Whatever people want, we're going to respond to it. Um, the product may end up being completely different than what we intended, but if that's what people want, that's what we're going to give them. I mean, you're talking about about something like that, right? Uh, I would say at high level, yes. I, I would put a couple caveats on that in that as an organization, we still have kind of goals and the uh, things we're trying to accomplish. So as long as they align with their goals and things we want to accomplish, then it makes a lot of sense. And the reason why I say that is there um, – I'll give you an example. So years ago, I was working with a client called um, – uh, NGP. So they do um, fundraising software for the uh, DNC, Democratic National Committee, and okay. Democrats in general. Um, now it's called NGP Van. So I was talking to them one day and I'm talking to their leadership and I said, guys, so you're building the software for the, the, the Democratic the DNC, which is you know about half of the user base. Uh, this same software would totally work for Republicans too. And they looked at me like I just uttered the worst cuss word in the room. Everyone looked at me like I was nuts. Right? I'm like, I'm just saying we could double our money. And they're like, not interested. Right? I'm like, all right, well, just. And they said, it's not our mission. No, our softball team's called the lefties. You know, this is our mission. This is what we're trying to do. Yeah, okay. So yeah. So you stay within within the parameters of your mission statement for your organization. You, you have to identify what is we're trying to achieve as an organization, and then align our practices around that. And that can change over time as long as we're true to the original uh, intent, I guess. Okay. Okay. So if if I'm looking at my organization and it doesn't have that thing that 3, 3M has where we've got a certain percentage of our revenue coming from new products, um, what do I do? Like, how do I, what do they have to change? Like, I mean, other than just saying stand up in an innovation center and tell them to try to kill the leading product, like, 
how do I how do I put this into place organizationally? Because it's it's a it's not just like training a team. You're gonna have to change the whole company for this, right? You mean so send them one of on one of Dave Pryor's Scrum classes and everything? Will be fine. <laughs> take my CSM class and it'll all be fixed. <laughs> I, I I mean this is a great question, right? Because but but you know uh, there's uh, I, I say that in jest, but there's a we see that happen quite a lot, right? We see, oh, we need to be more more innovative, more adaptive, more agile, whatever the term is. And then they just they go, all right, teams, go and, go and get trained and, and then go and be agile, right? And there's so much more to it, so much more to it, right? And so the question is, well, well what, what, what are all the areas I need to look at? Which is, is, is literally why I, A, created the model and B, wrote the book, right? Because I was so frustrated um, at seeing people focusing on just one small area and ignoring everything else, right? Um, it's just like, oh, if you, if you change the tires on your, on your car, you'll be able to get around the, uh, the, the track so much. But it was like, well, yeah, but what about if you completely redesign the whole car? That might be a bit better, right? And so um, the, the areas that I think that you need to look at is, uh, is what I call the six enablers. We start with, with leadership styles, right? Because there's a very different style of leadership when you're doing creative, innovative work to when you're doing more business as usual work. It's much more about empowerment, decentralizing decision making, right? and, and, uh, and helping to grow the capabilities of different leadership style. You've got to start there. There are cultural implications. Is it a, a culture of, of freedom, of trust, of um, safety to failure, safety to fail, or is it a, is it a completely different culture? Uh, we've got the structure of the organization, right? Are we in silos in a functional organization, or we're more of a divisional, cross-functional teams. I mean, that takes makes a big impact as well. Not to mention the HR policies, which are uh, are they rooted in the industrial revolution or more in innovative, creative work? And finally, how we invest money. Right? Do we expect big business cases up front with everything defined or we do accept uncertainty and we do incremental funding models? Right? And then the ways of working are almost incidental, right? the frameworks, the processes and practices. That for me at a high level is what you need to address. right? But of course, that's a huge piece. You don't do the whole organization at once. You start on one product, you inspect and adapt and learn as you go. But if you miss any of those things, you're going to find it really difficult. Yeah, the only thing I would add on top of that is uh, I think those are great. And if I go one level higher, is uh, as an organization, we have to understand why we're doing this. Like, what, what do, we, what do we get if we do this? What, what happens if we don't do this? And that message really has to resonate with the organization, right? Uh, if the organization really doesn't see kind of a reason or a strong value statement, uh, it's going to be uh, much more challenging, right? What happens is individuals, teams, and organizations gravitate towards the status quo. Right. Yeah. And to implement a change, especially a big fundamental change like what Kareem's talking about, is there has to be a very strong um, triggering, triggering event or a very strong uh, a message or reason why we're doing this to invest all this capital and time and effort into making these changes. Because the changes Kareem's talking about are not trivial, right? especially in organizations that are very stuck in old ways. Uh, it's not trivial and it's going to require a lot of work. Well, you say capital they're, time and oh, go ahead. They're, they're painful. Sorry, I jumped in, Richard. They're, they're, it's difficult. It's long. It's probably quite expensive, right? So if you if you don't feel the burning platform, there's no way you're going to go through all that pain. And, and this one other one the reasons we see so many failures, right? Actually, organizations at the moment they're doing okay. So why go through the pain before you have to? The trouble is, by the time you have to, it's too late. Yeah, and the great thing is, there's so many stories now. Uh, of organizations that didn't make the change and organizations that did, that I think leaders get it. In fact, Kareem and I went to a um, 
uh, strategizer masterclass on product ownership uh, a year or two ago. Uh, great class, by the way. And one of the stories they told, uh, I still remember this day because it was such a great story. Uh, they told a story in class where uh, Kodak, who invented the digital camera, you know, their invention essentially put Kodak out of business, right? Kodak used to have over a billion dollars worth of intellectual property. They had over 100,000 employees, a global uh, dominant brand. In today's world, they've, uh, you know, they're, they're still around kind of. They have about 5,000 employees. They sold out, they sold off almost all their intellectual property uh, and they filed uh, bankruptcy several times now. So they're barely uh, around. Well, and it's Kodak. not just that's not just Kodak because mm-hmm. they also affect so many other downstream businesses like the photomat booths that used to be in all the parking lots or all the Absolutely. different yeah, developing whole, places and you know everything in that system. The whole ecosystem uh, involved absolutely. Now, on the other hand, there's Fuji Film, right? And so uh, the story you told in class, which I thought was uh, great, was Fuji Film. What they did is they pivoted. Um, what they realized was uh, all the raw ingredients they had on hand to make this film uh, were essentially the same raw ingredients that um, that uh, go into cosmetics. And so they created a cosmetic division called Astalift, which end up being hugely successful in Asia. We, uh, we don't see it a whole lot in the US here, but in Asia, it's hugely successful and it becomes one of their most profitable lines of business, right? And so it's being able to kind of see what's going on and be able to identify where I can uh, innovate, uh, produce, and take the next steps. Companies that, that get it and can kind of do that and leverage that end up being wildly successful. Companies okay. that don't potentially, you know, go the other route. Yeah. So this, I have this big sort of, I, I don't know, to me, I call it a big question, like a question I, I never really get a full answer to, or maybe it's just that I haven't gotten the one that I'm looking for, but it almost sounds like organizations need to be redesigned so that the strength they have is not necessarily agile or not design thinking or lean startup, but it is that whatever we are today, we're going to be something else tomorrow. So the mm-hmm. the muscle that they have to build up is the ability to constantly change yeah it's the constant evolution right you can you can thrive by doing the same thing over and over again if and only if the environment in which you're operating stays the same right if the environment the business climate is changing quickly as we know it is you need to change quickly and that's not a one-time thing it's not i just need to go from state a to state B, and then I'll be fine because by the time you've done that, you probably need to be at state C. So um, we need to continuously evolve uh, and and keep up. In fact, evolve uh, to be able to change as fast as change itself. To quote Gary Hamill, right? And that's not an easy thing to do, and that's not a thing that many organisations are designed for right now because they've never had to do it before. Well, I want to I want to add one more thing to make it even harder. I think about like my father's generation who would get a job at a company and stay there, try to stay there for your like your career. Like that was like a big win if you could do that. Um, the change to our to our generation is very different. Where I don't expect a company to take care of me for my entire life. Um, you're talking about an entire workforce that is going to have to come into a place where whatever skills I'm using today, they might be some of them transferable. But my job's going to be different tomorrow. Oh, so for sure. 
That's yeah. the part where I'm like, God, isn't this exhausting? I mean, can I not just do this no, one thing exciting. for a couple of years? It's exciting, Dave. And personally, um, <laughs> maybe I'm I, too I, old. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know whether you mean your generation or my generation, but uh, I'll, I'll take oh, it. Oh man, you see that shady <laughs> just threw at me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Right, but but you're right. But when I think of you know a certain uh, you know my my parents and the generation above me, right? They they had a job and that's what they did, right? Um, when I look at my career and, and my career isn't even twenty years in yet, right? Um, I've been a software engineer. I've been a project manager. I've been a scrum master. I've been an agile coach. I'm now an entrepreneur. Well, that's five careers already, and and you know I'm only forty years old. I have no idea what the next twenty years holds for me. So that's just life, and I think those coming through now. They, set, they, they have a set of skills and they're just going to have to continuously learn and evolve like the organizations out there, like the business climate out there. Yeah, I remember uh, referencing back to Mike Beadle. Um, he had a, I remember he had a quote where he said something along the lines of the problem with someone that, the problem with somebody that says they have 30 years of business experience is that they're doing business like we did 30 years ago, right? And so just realizing that if you're doing business like we used to do it, that's the way we used to do it, and we have to be able to constantly reinvent uh, those approaches. It's not that we can't learn from the past. We can't live in the past, right? And there's Ooh, a difference. look at you dropping the good like quote. That. Oh, that's I like my quote. I just, I just yeah, now nice. made it up off the cuff. <laughs> so, all right. So this is – I want to check with you both. This is a little bit off topic, but it kind of rolls off of what was just said. When I look at the resume of somebody and I see they've been at one company for 15 years, I'm I'm not particularly interested in that. To me, that says somebody who wasn't willing to take a risk or go learn something different someplace else. They were comfortable, they got more comfortable, and they just survived the layoffs and stayed where they were. If I follow what you were just saying, Kareem, then somebody's going to be looking at my resume and saying, you've only done like three different things in the last 25 years. Like, Where's the diversity of career experience? Is Possibly. That? I mean, I mean, but yeah. I mean, well, it, it depends, right? If you're if you're a teacher, then then you're going to probably still be a teacher. But hopefully, you're growing new skills and 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 going in different specializations and learning new things, right? So there there are some jobs that that lend themselves more to stability, and some jobs that lend themselves more to to diversity of experience. But I mean, all of the people I look at now, they they have you know they don't tend to stay anywhere for more than three to five years. Yeah. Um, certainly, the same role, whether it's the same organization or a different one, they're doing something different and they're learning and growing. I like to see that in a candidate because it means that they're open to learning and growth, but that's just my preference. Yeah, a lot of it would depend on what kind of job I'm trying to fill. Uh, but, you know, it used to be that, um, uh, I, I know that in the past, headhunters, recruiters were wary of people that had different jobs because they viewed yeah. them as job jumpers, right? Yeah. Uh, and in today's world, uh, I think that's different. And it's funny because in today's world, like I was talking to some folks and they're like, um, Resume? What's a resume? Like, I don't have a resume. Right? Yeah. Look, at my, look at my LinkedIn. If you want to hire me, look at my LinkedIn. Give Check me a out call. my Insta. Yeah, we'll chat, right? <laughs> and so, you know, the business cards, right? We, um, I'm part of a new startup now, and uh, I just realized we don't have business cards. And with this pandemic, it's kind of hard to coordinate. You realize it. you don't need them. But with this pandemic, I'm like, business card was this 1980? Like, I'm going to hand you a piece of paper I expect you to keep for the rest of your life. Like, what's a business card you worth? Take it back days? and put it in your Rolodex, man. Yeah, well, aside from that scene <laughs> in American Psycho, I don't see the need for a business card anymore. All right. So so if I'm somebody who's you know interested in this and looking at their company, is there a way that, that people can get started on an individual level with this? And after this, I have one more question, and then we can wrap it up because, Richard, I know you got other stuff you got to take care of. Um, how does a person get started down this path? Can they do that individually, or does it have to be the company? 
It depends if they're the, the CEO of the company, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> when I, all of the case studies I've seen, right, and you know, it's it's difficult because a lot of the companies that do this really well were born this way. You know, uh, Richard, you've you've quoted Mike uh, a couple of times today, so it's my turn, right? He he used to say it's it's easier to grow a unicorn than transform a dinosaur. Right. Um, and of course, what he meant by that was like the organizations that are great at this, they were they were born with a level of business agility and a, 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 a sort of a startup mentality and they keep it like the day one philosophy at, at Amazon. Right. So it's pretty difficult. Now, those organizations that have made the transition and the transformation, the thing they have in common is it was driven from the top. Right? Because if you're looking at changing the way you lead, the, the structures, the cultures, the policies of the organization, I don't know from anywhere else that that can change. So, I mean, you've got to be driven from the top. That doesn't mean you can't go on a personal transformation yourself, and there's a ton of stuff you can do, but for, for sort of end-to-end -end business agility, it's absolutely vital you've got that buy-in, right? Um, so uh, if you're trying to change the organization, it needs to start there. If you're trying to change yourself, well, and then you're empowered to change whatever you like there, and, and that's, uh, that's something okay. that will always be true. Yeah, okay. I would I would agree with that. One of the clients I'm working with right now is a, a large uh, insurance company here in the U.S. and uh, you know they've been around for over 90 years, uh, and they've I've been working with them for about five or six years now with a lot of their agile practices. Uh, they're doing a great job, but part of it is we're providing more agile leadership courses to this organization than we are CSM courses because what they realize is, look, for this to change, part of it is the ways of doing work, which is what the certified Scrum Master class would help do. But part of it is our, our whole mindset to approaching the work, to approaching the organizations, which is what the leadership has to do. So I think for the adoption to happen, you do have to get uh, buy-in and, and a kind of a unified from the, the ground troops, right, bottom-up, as well as the executives top-down, as well as middle management, which is middle-out. But I, yeah. I agree with Kareem is that, in that um, culture is driven by leadership, and if you're going to make significant cultural changes, it really has to have uh, leadership support, uh, buy-in, and uh, determination, meaning that when things get hard, our leadership has to be there to ensure that we don't revert back to the old ways uh, when things get hard. Okay, cool. Thank you. This was a cool conversation. Um, I want to ask you a totally separate question to, to kind of close things out. It's sort of a weirder question, but um, the pandemic's been rough on everybody. And I'm wondering for each of you, what is the secret blessing that the pandemic has bestowed on your life? That's, What's the, like, easiest, that's the easiest question you've asked it? all day. There. Yeah, I right. have... I have eaten dinner with my, my daughters and my wife, <laughs> and I've put my daughters to bed every single night since this pandemic hit. And, and I was traveling so much before that I, I got to do that maybe two, three times a week. Right? I've done okay. it every single day for the last six months, so easy peasy. All right. Richard? Yeah, I'd say something similar in that um, you know I'm at home more, so I can spend more time with the kids. The commute isn't there as much. Uh, here in D.C. area, so there's a, a, a smart toll to my office, and that thing was expensive. It was like $35, $40 one way to oh. take this uh, smart toll, and so I certainly don't miss that. Um, <laughs> On a more work-related answer, um, I think something that the Scrum Alliance did really well was they, they pivoted from requiring their classes to be in person to allowing them to be delivered remotely. Yeah. 
And, and I was a bit skeptical. I didn't want, I was like, oh, I've got to rewrite my class. I've got to teach over Zoom. I'm still not a big lover of standing and talking into a camera for, for well, not that I talk for the whole two days, right? But delivering into a camera, I find that draining. Right? And, um, but uh, as, as you two probably know, you're doing the same, right? But I think that's been incredibly impactful because there are parts of the world that just didn't have access to the trainers, right? And, and people who just really want to go on these classes, like, I'm going to fly halfway around the world. And we just opened up the whole world yeah. just like that, right? For, yeah. for people to be educated and inspired. Um, and I'm, I'm loving the places. You know, I, I, the, some of the animals I see walking around in the background are these people from <laughs> all the way around the world. Because the, we're on the same time zone as a lot of African countries. So you get, again, a lot of African people sign up. That never happened before. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I agree with that. I've had people... Um, from India, from Germany, uh, in my training. And I remember I had a student from India and I said, wait, isn't it like the exact opposite time? And he said, yeah, I'm kind of used to that based on my day-to-day work. And so this works out great for my schedule. I said, all right, well, you know, it's up uh-huh. to you. But that's, that's uh, you know, from time zone standpoint, that's uh, that's impressive. Yeah. And so, you know, it's no longer just regionally based at this point. It's now a global uh, global training. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you both very much for doing this. So, Kareem, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very easy to find on social media, Kareem, K-A-R-I-M-H-A-R-B-O-T-T, or, or you can ping me, right? Kareem.harbert at agilecenter.com. We spell center a little different in the UK. It's T-R-E, um, but you can, you can reach out to me on any of those. And, uh, and uh, the, the book is out 1st of June, so check that out. It's up on Amazon and all of these other places that sell books. So uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that coming out. All right, cool. And Mr. Chang? Uh, so you can reach me, richard.cheng at nextupsolutions.com is my email address. The website is nextupsolutions.com is the website. Uh, and on February 17th, I am giving a free webinar on product management called The Perfect Product Owner. So everyone come to my website, come listen to that. Uh, it's free. Uh, we do a webinar once a month. Mine is February 17th. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Richard K. Chang, C-H-E-N-G, or join me on LinkedIn, uh, Richard Chang, C-H-E-N-G. All right. And I'll include links to all this, including Kareem's uh, LinkedIn and and Twitter as well. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.